Would you please um, remain standing in body or in spirit as we come before God's word and do so very likely with a confession of faith that goes all the way back to Moses, but actually found the height of its usage in the uh, Jewish world during the days of Jesus. And, and it was called the Shema, and Jesus made it then the cornerstone of what he called the Great Commandment. So we're going to recite that together. We'll, I'll invite you to follow me in Hebrew, and we'll join together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Had. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This morning's scripture comes uh, from the book of Exodus in the 13th chapter. And where we are in the book this morning is all ten of the plagues have uh, God has uh, put upon the Egyptians. And so finally, with the death of the firstborn at the Passover, uh, Pharaoh has said the people can go. And so uh, the Israelites um, not only gather their stuff up and go, they are given gifts by the Egyptians as they leave. And now we pick up the story as they leave in chapter um, 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the Israelites go, God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, for that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they will probably change their mind and want to return back to Egypt. So uh, when Israel left Egypt, they left ready for battle. Now Moses went and got the bones of Joseph. For Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath, uh, saying to them, God will surely come to your aid, and you must then take my bones up with you from this place. And so Israel uh, set out from Sukkot, and they encamped at Etham by the desert uh, on the road to the Red Sea. And They had a pillar of cloud to guide them by day and a pillar of fire to give them light by night so that they could travel by day or by night. And the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire never left from the front of the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. In uh, the first few years, our group that uh, does mission work in Burundi would go to Burundi, but we would use a missions um, travel agency of a missionary group that worked with Burundi, and their headquarters was in Philadelphia. We would use their travel agency. So about the second or third year, we were in uh, Amsterdam airport, and we had just finished an eight-hour flight, and we were having a six-hour layover at five in the morning so that we could get on a 10-hour flight and go to Nairobi. And and I met a new friend at the airport, and uh, I think we're uh, at the coffee stand and was telling what we were doing, and to which uh, my new friend responded when I described our itinerary. He said, you need a new travel agent. I bet the Israelites thought the same thing, because from where they were in Egypt to Canaan and uh, and the Promised Land was just a 10-day journey by a well-known route on foot. But they went another way, and the journey ended up taking them 40 years. 
they must have wondered, what was God thinking? Well, when I think about our our travel agent that we used to use from Philadelphia, I suspect that the travel agent had their reasons for two long flights and a long layover in between. Uh, There are flights that go direct to Africa from Washington, D.C. and Atlanta, but they're a lot more expensive. So uh, the missionary uh, group was saving our missions money. I understand that. And the six-hour layover gave us a, a good opportunity not to miss the flight to Nairobi, which only left once a day. So I, I kind of get that. And in the same way, God must have surely had reasons for not taking the Israelites along the shorter route. God must have had uh, an idea and known uh, something the Israelites didn't know. Reminded me what our liturgist Chris told me the other day. He, he had an Uber driver who told him that usually the shortest distance between two points is always under construction. And that's, if you look at it, that's probably it. There was a pretty big obstacle between Canaan and Egypt, and that obstacle was the Philistines. And God reasoned that if they run into the Philistines, they're not going to be ready for this fight, and they're going to want to turn around and go back to Egypt. And of course, God was right. Uh, Next week, we'll look at what happened at the Red Sea, but I can give you a hint. One of the things that happened at the Red Sea is uh, when they saw the Egyptians chasing them, even though they'd seen the wonder of God in ten plagues, the response of the Israelites is, what are we doing out here? Let's go back to Egypt. Let's surrender. And a little while um, past that, when they get close enough to the promised land to send spies into the promised land in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, their response is, what are we doing here? Let's turn around and go back to Egypt. So, of course, God was right. Uh, But I wonder, uh, there are a couple of interesting things, I think, um, in this in this passage here. One is, I think it's fascinating that God took the human situation into account when God was making plans. God looked at them and thought, well, they're not ready to fight, so I'll take them on a long route. And God kind of looked at their level of of, uh, maturity and said, and they're going to need a guide and going to need to know of my presence. So God gave them the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Isn't it interesting that God made adjustments to uh, God's plan based on where the people were. It reminds me of the great uh, writer on leadership, Margaret Wheatley, who counsels leaders that they must not move in organizations at the speed of light. They must move in organizations at the speed of life. And God's sort of moving at the, at the rate that God's people can go. And I find that fascinating because I think so often in my life, God, I thought God had one perfect and ironclad will for me. And if I missed it, There wasn't another flight leaving for a long time. And I kind of thought of God sitting in heaven with these very strict and firm rules and plans. And that's not the picture we get at all. We get God uh, that wants God's people to come to freedom, but just says, hmm, they're not ready to fight. So I'll make an adjustment in the schedule. God often takes the human situation, our situation, into account as God works with us in our lives. And one of the places I I see this, just as a side note, is some of us are frustrated that the Bible doesn't speak more strongly about slavery. Now, on the one hand, God speaks pretty strongly when he wants his people to be set free. Um, And also God speaks uh, strongly when God said, after so many years as a slave, a slave must be freed. But what you see God doing with the people is all they've known for 400 plus years is slavery. And that's the only thing societies around them know. So God basically 
basically the first thing God will do in the, in the first five books of the Bible is God will humanize slavery. He'll make laws about how you have to treat slaves with kindness. He'll make laws about when slaves can go free and how they can go free. God will work with where the people are to get them where God wants them to be. That's the first thing that interests me about this passage. The other is, is this interesting phrase that when Israel left Egypt, they left ready for battle. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting. In, in Hebrew, apparently, it's a word picture that basically means they left like this. You know, they, they were looking to park. Um, but one of the interpretations is it also means that they left in military formation. Uh, probably uh, by looking later in the Bible, we can see probably in groups of 50 uh, that, that they left. And apparently God does this because there might be fake news in Egypt. And the fake news would be that these slaves are just a runaway mob who escaped in the middle of the night. But when they walk out in formation, it's like nobody escaped. It's like we're out of here because our God's in charge. And we're setting the detail. We're setting the, the agenda here. And they're moving uh, forward. So I find that fascinating. But also fascinating is, so it looks like they're ready for battle, but God knows they aren't. And so it made me wonder, what else does God know about these people that may lead God to make them take the long route and not the short route? God knows they're not ready for a fight. And what else might God know? A couple things come to mind. Because I think God, at this time, maybe not be free to say it, because one of the things God knows is something that has to do with Pharaoh and Egypt, which is if they take the short route, they will escape Egypt quickly. If they take the long route, it gives Pharaoh and Pharaoh's people chance to change their mind, follow their heart's evil desires, and go chase their uh, workforce back and bring them back as slaves. And when they left, they left with all sorts of gold and silver and jewelry from the Egyptians, and the people decided they want their stuff back. And so this delay gives the Egyptians time enough to follow. And so they follow them, and guess where they follow them? They end up all the way at the... Red Sea. And pretty soon the Egyptians are going to have an Admiral Akbar experience. Do you remember Admiral Akbar in Return of the Jedi? Comes out of warp speed and looks out and sees the Death Star in front of him and utters those three immortal words. Probably know it. It's a trap. It's going to take Pharaoh a while to realize. But it's a trap. So, the first, so God's not going to say that, but God knows that. The second thing I think that's more, even more important to me this morning is God knows not only the people aren't ready to fight, but I think God knows they're not even ready to be free. They've been slaves 400 years. They don't know how to live yet as free people. Uh, last week's uh, liturgist Jackie uh, Freeman was in our group talking about the text this week. And Jackie reminded us of how in, uh, in American history, even though Lincoln freed the slaves, a lot of them chose to just stay in their current situation. The new situation was so uncertain that they preferred the familiar um, uh, patterns of slavery to the unfamiliar risks in freedom. And I have friends that work in prison ministry, and one of the things they'll often report is their prisoners who, like, kind of like Shawshank Redemption, they don't want to be free. They don't want to face that world because in their world where they're living inside, there's a certain order, a certain pattern that they are used to. They're not, in their minds, ready to be free. And I think maybe that's what's happening here. The people aren't ready, so God's not going to put them in the promised land if they're not ready to occupy and, uh, and live 
fruitfully and faithfully in the promised land. It's just not time. I mean, have you ever noticed uh, somebody who got something really before they were ready to get it? All their dreams came true. Their ship came in, what they always hoped for, but they weren't ready. And you don't have to be a sports fan to watch that played out in the NFL, in the NBA, and uh, Major League Baseball. Uh, the young man signs a large contract, more money than he's ever seen before, and after a few years has less money than the one has ever had before. They weren't ready for it. Or perhaps as a parent you've tried this. Uh, your children have asked for a pet, and so against your better judgment you give them a pet. And so who ends up taking care of the pet? You do, because you gave it to them and they weren't ready. Or maybe you had a teenager and they got a license. And even though the state said they were ready to drive, you wondered. But you gave them that new sports car. They weren't ready. We can see. I graduated school many years ago, back in before the days of the personal computer. But I can assure you, when I graduated, I was not ready to be handed a church and say, you're in charge. I'd done three years as a student assistant, and I thought I'd learned everything as a student assistant in Durham, North Carolina, that anybody would ever need to know for the next 40 years. And it didn't take me but about two weeks to realize I didn't know much at all. Sometimes we walk into things and we're not ready for them. And I think God can look at the people and go, they're not ready to live as free people. They haven't developed the character yet. And character development, quite frankly, takes time. And God knows it. So even though I might wish that God would wave a magic wand from heaven and fix my character or some other person's character that I want fixed, but often God's going to take the long, slow road with that as well. In fact, uh, our liturgist Chris said um, the other day, if God took away all my character defects, I wouldn't have any character left. God's not going to destabilize us quite like that. God's going to take some time, work with us, work with the Spirit, work with the community, so that we can, at the speed of life, become the people that God and the community that God wants us to become. Uh, good teachers know you may have a syllabus, but you don't teach the whole syllabus the first day of class. You build. What are they ready for? What are they mastered? What principles or foundation must come that first so you can build on that? And in the same way, God knows that's how it works with God's people. We may think we want it now and we deserve it now, but God knows that giving it to us now might actually be the worst thing for us. There's a wonderful pastor. He's 84 years old. His name is Eugene Peterson. And I saw an interview with him uh, that was done in 2014. Uh, but they asked him about what advice that he would give uh, uh, for Christians and for the church. And, and one of the things he said was that we have to learn to be patient with each other. And he went on to say, I think the besetting sin for Americans is this. We are impatient. We're impatient with God. We're impatient with ourselves, and we're impatient with other people. And we're called on, I think, in the Scripture to show patience as God's plan develops, to show patience as we grow, and to show patience as other people grow as well. And then finally, I think God knows this, and God can't quite say it because they're so excited about the promised land, but usually it's the journey that's more important than the destination. 
And more important than where you are going is who, are you, who you are going with. And they are going with God. And they're going with each other. And that's actually better than any place they're going to get to. I don't know if you've had this experience, but you've been on a family vacation driving. And to me, it always, when we'd start, it seemed like a good idea at the time, you know. And then two or three days in, we're thinking, what were we thinking? But then 10, 12 years later, we look back at the pictures and we think, I'm glad we did that. And I'm not glad because of where we went. That was fine. I'm glad because of who I went with. And then we had that time together that we just don't have together anymore. And God knows how valuable and important that time is. And once they get to the promised land, their eyes should be on God, but it's going to turn to the land. And they're going to miss that. Well, maybe you come this morning and you're not really where you hoped you'd be. God really hasn't brought your ship in. I guess my word to you would be, hang in there. Be patient with God. Be patient with yourself. Or maybe there's someone that you love and you would like to change, and right now they seem impervious to your wisdom. Be patient. Be patient with them. Because we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey with God and with one another. And we will find, if we're patient and stay faithful the journey, we'll get there. Maybe not in our time, but in God's time. And when we get there, we'll be ready for it.